Welcome to the Smart Pacific Podcast from the PTC. Introducing more insights from ICT thought leaders in the Pacific and beyond is your host, Steve McClelland. Welcome to this episode of Smart Pacific and to a sector that just keeps on growing. High-capacity submarine cables are being deployed everywhere in the world, but no more so than in Asia-Pacific and Oceania. New projects are being announced on an almost monthly basis. We talked to the people at the sharp end of this remarkable story at the recent Submarine Networks World event in Singapore. First, we caught up with John Hibbard of Hibbard Consulting, and a specialist in connecting up the Pacific Islands to ask his views on a key prospective milestone. Are we almost fully cabled in those remote communities? Well, assuming that Southern Cross Next announces within the next week or two, which we hear will, that will mean that Kiribati and Tokelau will get their first cables, leaving Tuvalu as the only one left, to which will already work is there to connect it into Tokelau. So therefore, every country in the Pacific will have a cable. The question now is that these cables are proving to be so successful that they're looking at saying, hey, we've got, we've got to put in a second. That's why Vanuatu is talking about a second cable, because the government said, we've suddenly realised our economy is built on this cable, and we've got too much risk, and therefore we need a second cable. That is the question that's being asked. Even power, nine months after they're in, have gone from 200 megs to nearly two gigs. And, you know, in less than a year, and the government's saying, how many eggs have we got in this basket? And so, from that view, I think we'll start to see second cables. The challenge with second cables is the World Bank and ADB are basically about giving connectivity. They're, the value of the second cable is security. It's not an economic case. It's a, an infrastructure case, and that will be really difficult for them from a capital point of view. So I don't think you'll see a lot of them come fast, but they are an issue. The story is not restricted to one part of the Pacific either. There are major regional and long-haul builds going on, and key routes are seeing several new systems in competition. Carlos Trujillo, CEO of Subpartners, a member of the Indigo Cable Consortium linking Southeast Asia and the west coast of Australia, told us of his project's rationale. We knew that for quite some time that the west coast of Australia, if you look at our geography, only had one cable system, which was SIMIWI 3. Now, SIMIWI 3 has been plagued by a history of outages. It is our only link that basically takes us to the rest of Southeast Asia and Europe. And our geography really does mandate that we have some level of redundancy. SIMIWI 3 was end of life, uh, on top of the fact that it was having a lot of performance issues. So I've thought, even before I joined Subpartners and before I became an investor in Indigo, that a cable had to be built because of the sustainability of our different markets, resource, and otherwise. The reason we picked the consortium model, and I'll be honest with you, it wasn't necessarily an obvious choice from day one. I've been at Subpartner six years. So the first three and a half years, four years, we thought that an independent cable build would provide a fantastic opportunity for parties to get a new substitute over SIMWI 3. And what we found is that Parties weren't necessarily interested in just cheap IRUs or cheap spectrum. They wanted a place at the table so that they had something to say about how O&M was being managed, cable station costs. Because the reality of life is, is that cheap wet segment in itself 
is not a business driver, pop to pop costs, and you've got all these variable costs over the 25 or 24 year life of the cable, and parties wanted to be able to have control of that. And that's what mandated, and that's what currently or took us to the consortium model that we have with the other parties. You now have an additional link in the system to Sydney. Why is that? I'll tell you a subpartner's view. The reality of life is, is that going from Singapore to Perth didn't get me to Sydney. And the reality of life is, is that most of the parties that have large pops or cacheing data are in Sydney. So the point is, is that if I'd gone to Perth, there's only three, four parties that traditionally have access routes between Perth to Sydney. Some parties might argue that that was cost prohibitive in being able to grow their business, grow their capacity requirements in and out of Australia. I'll let other parties speak for themselves. We felt, subpartners, Superloop, that just like when I built Endeavor on the East Coast, if you have a position in the market, you will drive costs down. It wasn't just about low latency and it wasn't just about new infrastructure. It was about changing the demographics of pricing for capacity between the East Coast and West Coast of Australia so that we had a true cost-effective, low-latency solution between Singapore and Sydney. Meanwhile, new major Trans-Pacific systems are taking shape. Under the planned Pacific Light Cable Network, the PLCN, Hong Kong looks like getting its first direct connection to the U.S. We asked Winston Tsu, SVP of Pacific Light Data Communication, just how much capacity this new cable will have. We have 144 terabits with six fiber pairs. What is the competitive advantage for customers in this? First of all, technologically, we, are the, we use the, the latest technology, C plus L band technology. We are trying to support technology innovation for our industry. The second, we offer the shortage latency between Hong Kong and the U.S. And also, we have a huge bandwidth to meet the custom requirement. And especially from those from OTT player, we can offer the terabit or even 10 terabit. None of our other cable can offer so much capacity. So far, it, I think when we're ready for service in, in next year, it should be the only solution between Hong Kong to U.S. for a huge capacity offer. The others need to go through Japan or, and then onward to, to U.S. They cannot offer capacity like terabit or even 10 terabit. They can offer several hundred. If you need a huge capacity, just go to PSCN. New cable systems like CX2 aim to offer direct connectivity, this time between Southeast Asia and the US, at the same time bypassing earthquake-prone zones of other areas in the region. Kelvin Perman, CX Indonesia CEO, talked to us about his project. In Singapore already completed. In Indonesia, actually, we already have approved license to do the US side of the cable and also the pre-approved permitting within Indonesia water. So for us, we are actually quite ahead of other competing cable. We, we believe there are a few more cables actually also planning to do so, but we, are, we believe we are ahead at this point. What is your competitive edge? Actually, for CX, where we operate, we always have full license. In Malaysia, as example, we have NFP and SP. Under our CX Malaysia in Singapore, under CX Singapore, we have FBO license. In Indonesia, our under CX Indonesia, we have JARTUP, Jaringan Tertutup, and then we also have NAP to operate. So to offer the service to customer, we can provide them pop-to-pop solution with no headache. We give all uh, permit, all license covered, so 
the customer can enjoy the ease of actually dealing with us. You don't need to have a multiple parties to deal with to connect one point to the other point. Are we seeing significant demand in countries such as Indonesia? Actually, uh, one thing Indonesia, for sure, with 250 million people, we are growing in terms of not only number of people, but also the demand for internet. Because actually in Indonesia, the the technology is not that advanced yet. There is a big, a huge room for improvement for any technology advancement in Indonesia. So the demand from locally grow a lot. But actually for us, CX, we concentrate to connect Indonesia out to outside of Indonesia. Right? Uh, what we have right now is to connect Indonesia to Malaysia, Singapore, and then ultimately to US directly through our new cable. So for us, our niche is actually to connect uh, this region, including Indonesia, to the other side of the world. But is there a danger of overbuild with so many systems being built? We're seeing several systems hitting major routes at the same time. John Hibbard. As for elsewhere in the world, is there too much building? I think everything is driven by one thing. It's a 40% growth rate. If you've got four fibres in now, you're going to need another two fibres next year and another two the year after. That 40% is not backing off and is driving absolutely everything. So from my point of view, current environment of are we building too much too fast and now it's all caught up and at 40% growth rate they've got to build, build, build and so I'm not seeing a bubble I'm seeing tons of opportunity and a growth in the business but it's not a bubble that's going to burst in my view because that 40% is there Winston Sue. I don't think it's too much or too many. As you know, they, they, now the, the capacity requirement is booming. As acronyms, I just have an issue that report. It said the, the capacity is going annually more, almost 50% annually. So I think the capacity is not enough. Then we need more capable for diversity requirements or even for to meet the ODT requirements. Carlos Trujillo. I think that the issue we have today is that we still don't know how our end users use their capacity. You're throttling up speeds. You're releasing all types of new products and services. I don't think we have an overbuild. And case in point is if you look at the east coast of Australia, you've got Southern Cross North and South. You've got Southern Cross Next on the table. You've got Hawaii You've got AJC. And you have Endeavor. And I can tell you that they're all going propositions today. Now, if that isn't considered overbuild versus the West Coast, I don't know what it is. And yet I believe that they're all enjoying good business, good returns on their investment. And once again, Australia, I remember when I used to support one of the larger tier ones, uh, International Internet, 60% of our content was sourced from the U.S. So the reality of life is, is, and when you're telling people that they can download at 100 meg and you're dropping the price to 19.99 a month, something's got to give and take. You're either throttling people down or you're providing them bigger pipes. So, and my view is that with the Internet of Things and other things that are coming out, I mean, I don't know how to even network plan that. So my view is that I don't think that we suffer from overbuilding. I believe that we're just in time, and I believe that as time goes on, there'll be greater demand. Absolute. I think all the Pacific and the Atlantic all growing. Asia's actually going slightly faster, I think. But And the only thing across the Pacific next 18 months is... Every sub-supplier will be flat as a strap building and the question really is, will they be making enough margin to keep themselves happy is the challenge. One thing's for sure, this is a very active industry in a very active market and one that shows no signs of diminishing anytime soon. That's it from Smart Pacific. 
Show notes are available on the PTC website at ptc.org. Check them out. Thanks for listening. PTC is the premier global nonprofit membership organization promoting ICT in the Pacific Rim. Get involved in the world's most dynamic ICT region. Join PTC today. Participate in PTC seminars and conferences. Engage in PTC research programs. Make web contributions to PTC outreach. Share our dialogue and these PTC podcasts. Help us by rating them on iTunes. For more information about what PTC can do for you, see ptc.org.